Jeremy Pearsons. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast. Earlier this year, David Barton came to Eagle Mountain International Church and shared a great message about truth under attack. It was so timely because of the 2020 election next week, and we have to get it out and share it with you. It was a power packed time in the word with historical and biblical references bringing us back to our true foundation in God. So get your Bibles and get ready to receive. So I want to talk to you about a, a real problem that I see in the country today. We do a lot of national polling. I'm involved with a lot of national pollsters and we, we do a lot of, of looking at what's in the culture. And so specifically what I want to hit this morning is the issue of truth. Guys, is it coming through or do I need to switch it over up here? There we go. We've got truth. And it is not hyperbole to say that truth is under attack. And I mean that very specifically. Um, I would say truth is on life support. And, and I don't say that as hyperbole. I say that again because of polling. When you look at polling right now, what we know is that three out of five Americans believe there is no absolute moral truth. Now, do you know it's impossible for a nation to continue if you can't have a majority agree on what's right and wrong? Right now, we can't have, we're, we're 60 percent can't agree on what's right and wrong. How do you have laws? How do you enforce laws? How do you have any policies if you can't have a right and wrong of some kind? And you have to have that common value in a nation. We don't have that. We've lost that. The next generation is even more so than that. It's four out of five with millennials. That tells you something about our education system at this point. When the future gen- this is future everything. Future doctors, future politicians, future church leaders, future everything. Four out of five believe that there is no absolute moral truth. But then you take it to Christians. And for Christians, it's one out of two believe there's no absolute moral truth. Now, this is the best stat out there, and it's only 50%. That's Christians. One out of two Christians believe there's no absolute moral truth. So that's why I say specifically, we've got a truth problem here. Uh, objective truth doesn't matter anymore. And so if objective truth doesn't matter anymore, the problem you get into is, again, we decide what we're going to do with things like gender. Now, gender, that used to be really easy. Ten years ago, we knew there was two genders. There had been two genders for 5,500 years. Three years ago, we stopped counting genders when they reached 90. We don't know how many genders there are now. It's whatever you decide you want to be. Whatever you are, that's fine. You decide who you want to be. We have the same difficulty with things like religion. All paths lead to heaven. 80% of Christians believe that any religion will get you to heaven. 80% of Christians believe that. So we think that any religion you have is fine. We think that any government you have, if you want a communist government, if you want a Marxist government, there's nothing wrong with that. If it works for you, that's fine. Except it doesn't work for you. It's never worked in the history of the world. Well, that's all right. That's just your opinion. We have the same thing with education. Instead of the 50 states having uniform education centers, now we change it for every state so that Every state can look good. You see, here in Texas, we have an exceptional school of 60% of the students can read in the school. 60% used to be a failing grade. See, right now, for the last 15 years in America, 19% of all students who graduate are 100% illiterate. So we have an illiteracy rate of 19%, yet we have exceptional schools. See, we change the standards in every state so we don't have to compare each other. We can't say, oh, Texas is number 45 out of 50, or Oklahoma is number 21. We don't do that anymore. We, we don't have any way to measure and compare. Rights and wrongs, morals are what we decide they are. Whatever's moral for me is good with me because I decide my own truth. We have the same thing with history. We just cancel whatever we disagree with. Rather than looking at truth and history, if we think it's wrong, we'll just take it out. We have the same thing when when you get into areas like science, we can see the same scientific studies and come up with opposite positions out of the same scientific study. Uh, the same with economics. Used to be that we knew what worked and what didn't work in economics, not anymore. 
there's never been a socialist country in the history of the world that has survived and prospered and maintained individual freedom. And yet right now in America, 75% of college students want us to go to a socialistic system. 69% of millennials want that. And 41% of Americans think we should change to a socialistic system. It's never worked in the history. Well, that's all right. We'll get it right this time. No, we won't. It's not like I put my hand on the stove and got burned every time. But when I put it on this time, it's not going to burn me. Yes, it will. It'll burn you every time. See, that's absolute truth, but we don't believe in absolute truth anymore. We also have difficulty with ethics. We choose ethics now. Ethics are whatever you define it to be, whatever law you pass. So we've replaced truth and fact with personal opinion. Now, the result of that is we've lost a love of the truth. Truth is now whatever we decided to be, and truth is whatever helps my side wins. So in the media, we don't report truth anymore. We report, we report what helps that side win, whatever the side the media takes, whether it's CNN, whether it's Fox. We're going to report what helps my side win. It used to be reporting the truth. That used to be what the media did. That's not where we are anymore. So objective truth is out. There's a great passage I want to spend some time on this morning. in Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it talks about the man of lawlessness and talks about truth and it talks about the man of truth. So this is a great contrast in this passage between truth and, and lawlessness. And as you work through the passages and it talks about what the man of lawlessness is going to do, you get to verse 10 in this passage and verse 10 starts a sequence. It says, they did not receive the love of the truth. All right. So they did not receive, they did not love the truth. They loved their truth, but they didn't love objective truth. And because they did not love objective truth, verse 11 says, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. Now, notice we're starting a sequence here. If you don't love absolute truth, delusion will come. It says that they should believe a lie. So delusion comes, then you believe a lie. And it says that they all might be damned who received not the truth, so who, who believed not the truth. Now, damned is the King James word for judged or condemned. But notice the sequence that happens here. If you don't love or if you reject the truth, then a delusion comes. And when that delusion comes, you will end up believing a lie. And when you believe a lie, you will act on the lie. And there's always high consequences of that. Now, this is a spiritual pattern that... You just can't violate. This is like the law of gravity. It's not going to go away. This is God's pattern that he's established in the earth. And if you don't, and it all starts up top with the love of the truth. No matter how hard the truth may be to you, no matter how much it may disagree with what you believe, if you don't have a love for the truth, then all this other stuff is going to happen as a consequence. And so America's gotten away from that love for the truth. So when you look at this, let me, let me just take a, a simple example. Take something like science. Now, I'm, I'm a science guy. I went to college for math and science scholarship, like science, taught science in high school, was a high school principal. If you take Newton's laws of gravity, and, and they are called the laws of gravity because they are not opinions. A, a law in science is something that is true every single time. It has never been violated once. It will not be violated once. You can have principles and axioms and theorems, but if it's a law, it's not viable. It, it, you can't violate it. So the law of gravity is out there. And you look at the law of gravity, which, again, is not my opinion. It's not anybody else's opinion. It's a law because it works every time. And I look at that law of gravity and I say, you know what? I'm not sure this still holds true today because our technology is so much better than it's ever been. You heard this last week. President Trump said, time to put a woman on the moon, time to put an American flag on Mars. We've got to get out of gravity to do that. So gravity just doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. And I just don't buy into the thing that gravity is, is an absolute. I mean, we can get around that. So if I, if I reject the law of gravity, what happens? I say, all right, well, there's no law of gravity. Well, if there's no law of gravity, then it doesn't affect me. And if it doesn't affect me, then I can do what I want 
And I've always wanted to be able to soar. So I'm going to jump off a building and I'm going to soar. And I will soar all the way until I splat on the ground. I will die. It really doesn't matter how sincerely I see this sequence. I reject the truth. A delusion enters. I'll act on it. I'll believe, I'll believe a lie and I'll act on it. There'll be a high cost and consequence. And it does not matter how sincerely I may believe otherwise. I will still splat when I hit the ground. It doesn't matter what my personal truth may be. I will still splat when I hit the ground. These are just laws. And so we're at the point now where we don't think laws have consequence on me. We see the same thing even when it comes into areas like faith. If you look at what we have in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. We also have Acts 4, 12, where we're told there's salvation, no other name except Jesus Christ. So what we have here is a claim of exclusivity. We are told specifically Jesus is the only way to heaven. But, you know, I, I know some really good people who are of other religions. And they do everything right. And I, and I don't think that God's going to send them to hell because they're such nice people. And they don't have all these character flaws. And, and, and so I, I just don't know about this exclusivity thing, which we're, I'm telling you earlier, 80% of Christians think you can get to heaven other religions than, than through Christianity. So I, I, I reject this. And so if I reject this... My sequence again goes, it's the same sequence, there is no exclusive way to heaven. So Jesus is not the only way to heaven. So that means there's many ways to heaven. And we know lots of religions that are out there. There's many ways to heaven. And since there's many ways to heaven, I can choose my way to heaven, which means I'll end up going to hell if I don't choose Jesus. I mean, it's real simple stuff. That's the law of God. It, it doesn't matter how sincerely I may believe otherwise. And my personal truth really doesn't matter to God. It's going to run by his objective truth. And see, this is what we have to come back to is a love of the truth, even if it really is hard for me, even if it change, forces me to change my life, even if I have to change my political positions or my educational position, whatever it is, we got to go with truth. And, and so this is what America's not doing right now. We're doing this really good. We're, we're, we're rejecting absolute truth. We're having delusions. We're believing lies. We're acting on the lies. And we're seeing high cost and high consequence in many areas. So love of the truth is the most important thing that's out there. Now, for a Christian, love of the truth is pretty easy for knowing where to get truth. If you, if you want a source of truth, we're told very easy. G, Jesus, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So going to God's word is the first place you go to get truth. We're also told, Jesus told us in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth. So we have truth in God's word. We have truth in the person of Jesus Christ. For a Christian, that's where we start. That's where we go. The problem is we're not doing that. Again, statistically, nationally, only 9% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis. Now, if only 9% of Christians are going to the source of truth, this is why 80% think things that aren't true, like any way will get you to heaven or whatever. And lots of other numbers I can give you as well. So only 9% spending daily time in the source of truth. Now, what's happened is in America today, there's only 65% that profess Christianity. We've dropped 20% in the last two decades. We were at 85%. We're now plummeting. Uh, the chart has, has Christianity falling dramatically in America. We're at some of the lowest levels we've ever been. Atheism is the highest level. The Democrat Party just celebrated the fact that their largest religious group in the Democrat Party is atheists and non-Christians. So they're happy the fact that they now are not Christian 
centric. So that's the way America's growing. We're, we're growing away from Christianity. But if you take 9% of the 65%, that means that only 6% of Americans read the Bible on a daily basis, which is why current polling as of a month ago shows that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Only one out of 16 Americans sees things the way that God sees things, has the God perspective on it. When we look at economics, when we look at government, when we look at education, when we look at business, when we look at media, whatever it is, only one out of 16 Americans sees it through the God filter of God's word, sees it the way that God sees it. So that's a difficulty we have. This is where personal opinions come in. Since we don't have that objective truth, it's now what we think that matters. Now, I'm going to take this background and I'm going to move it into the news somewhat. Let's look at some of the things that are in the news. And one of the things that's dominated the news for the last six weeks has been what's happening with statues. So let's talk about statues for a minute. Let's go at it from, again, the background I've laid on loving the truth. One of the first statues to start coming down in America was that of Columbus. Columbus started coming down. And when Columbus came down, man, he came down all over the country. Um, there's scores of Columbus statues coming down. Now, why would Columbus statues be coming down? If you wonder, then just go on the internet and look up Christopher Columbus and you will have an abundance of memes. You'll have an abundance of social media that tells you the problem with Columbus. I don't always celebrate enslavement and genocide, but when I do, it's Columbus Day. Okay. Columbus Day is about celebrating someone who engaged in racism, slavery, and genocide. So that's why his statue needs to come down. Also, this one, savage. Stop the genocide, racism, imperialism. Stop the celebration. Create hope for a new world. We've got to stop celebrating Columbus because this guy was in, he was the first major sex trafficker in the history of the world. His genocide and slavery. That's why the statues are coming down. And so when you, when you get this kind of in, now nobody's asked whether this is true or not. This is what everybody's believing now. And because they believe this to be true, whether it's true or not, and we're going to look at that in a minute, whether they, whether it's true or not, they believe it to be true. And that's why statues all over America, Columbus, they're coming down. And, and it's not like that there's only a few statues to take down. Uh, interestingly enough, there are, over the last 500 years, there have been 600 statues erected to Columbus. I'd like you to find somebody else in the world who has 600 statues erected to them. That's a lot. So does that mean... That every generation for the last 500 years appreciated racism and sex trafficking and genocide. We're the first generation in 500 years to actually think that slavery is wrong and that racism is wrong and that sex trafficking. Is that what we're saying? Because we're the first generation to start tearing down the statues. Is it because every generation prior to us didn't appreciate those things? That doesn't make a lot of sense. We actually fought a civil war trying to end racism and slavery. So there must have been somebody back there who thought slavery was wrong. So what's going on then? What, why now? What, why are we taking this stuff down now? Let, let me kind of take you back on this for a bit. Um, jumping back to Columbus, the question becomes, what's the real story? Or better yet, maybe the better question is, what's the history? Because Americans don't know the history of Columbus. But the most important question is, what is the truth? Because I really don't care what your view of history is. I care what the truth is. And we want truth and we need to know what the truth is. And Columbus, it's interesting. Uh, Columbus is a guy who made a number of voyages. There's about 2,000 people who went with him on the voyages. They all kept, not all, but most of them kept records. We have all sorts of official records and journals and we have diaries. We have letters, whatever. And they were kept 
at a location in Spain. One of our early American ambassadors, Washington Irving, who is a great literary figure, he wrote all sorts of literary tales, probably read some AP literature. Uh, Washington Irving was sent as an ambassador to Spain. While he was there, he spent extensive time in all the writings surrounding all the voyages of Columbus. He ended up publishing a three-volume set on the, his- the, the history of Columbus, and it was considered one of the most comprehensive writings ever done on Columbus. We actually own the second document ever published about Columbus. It was published by his son, and it contains the journals and letters of those who wrote through So there's lots, I'm, I say that to say there's lots of original eyewitness testimony for what's back there. So when you look at Columbus, what happens, the first question I would ask you is, how many voyages did Columbus make? Now, how many voyages did he make? Why does that matter? They were all about racism and genocides. No, no, no. If you don't know how many voyages he made, you don't even know enough about the basics to even have a general determination of what the guy did. Because he made four voyages, and every one of them was very different. The records are very different. Let me take you through the first voyage. This is when he lands in the Western world. This first voyage, this is 1492. This is the painting that hangs inside the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. Now, when Columbus lands in the New World, he has an encounter with native people. The first native people he encounters are called the Tainos. He met the Tainos, and he records that these are the gentlest and kindest people kindest people ever. He said, I love these guys. He wrote back to the king and queen of Spain, said, these guys need to be citizens. They need full citizenship, full rights. These are the best people ever. So he now has encountered this native tribe, the Tainos, and talks about how great they are. The Tainos said, you know, we're, we're really glad you like us. We appreciate that. And we like you and good relationships here. But you need to know we're not the only natives in these islands. There's another set of natives you need to know about, and they're called the Canibs and the Caribs. Now, Canibs is where we get the word cannibal, and Caribs is where we get the word Caribbean. And so the Tainos say to Columbus, you need to really watch out for this other tribe because, you see, these guys, they're they're cannibals. They will eat your men. They eat us. And and they will eat And and Columbus kind of blows it off and says, no, 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 that's not possible. Who in the enlightened age of 1492 eats people? Nobody does that. We're too enlightened for that. So he does not buy into the fact that he has been told that that there's other tribes out there that are quite different. So what happens is because he has good relations with the Tainos, he makes plans to go back and get supplies. This is great. Got a great place to live, great relationship here with with the natives. I'm going back to Spain, getting more supplies, coming back. This is going to be great. So he heads out and he, he goes, he starts to head out. And as he starts to head out, one of his ship runs aground. As it runs aground, it damages the bottom of the ship. It makes it impossible for that ship to return to Spain. So he tells the guys, I'm taking the other ships back. I'm going to leave you guys here, but we'll be back real quick. We're just getting supplies coming right back. So in the meantime, we're going to build you a fort so that you'll be safe. So he builds some fort to make sure they're safe. And then he takes off on the trip back to Spain. Now, after he leaves, the cannons show up for the first time. And the cannons and the caribs show up. They attack his men. They kill every one of his men, and they cannibalize his men. And so he doesn't know about this. He's gone. But while he's gone, he loses every single man he left behind to the cannibs, who not only killed but cannibalized them. Turns out the Tainos came and chased off the cannibs so they didn't fully consume all the guys. They'd scooped out their eyes and ate their eyes and were eating other parts when the, when the Taino chased them off. So Columbus comes back, and when he gets back, Columbus finds the force destroyed and his men are dead. So he starts talking to the Taino and said, what happened? They said, well, we tried to stop it, but we got there too late. So what happens is Columbus goes to the Cannon villages, these guys that killed his men. 
When he gets to the can of villages, what he finds there is he finds the first village he goes in, one of the first villages he goes into, he finds 50 huts there, and they're inhabited only with Taino women. And he talks to the Taino women because they're his allies. He said, what are you doing here? They said, oh, we're the sex slaves for the cannabis. They rape us, and as we produce children, they eat our children. So we're the food, we're the food factory for the cannabis. And the, the women explained to Columbus, they said, you got to understand, they like, the cannabis like eating infant children and like eating full-grown men. They don't like boys, they don't like women, so we're safe, but we're their food factory. And this is recorded in Columbus's writings and those of his men, what the, what the Taino women told them. The Taino women said, when the Caribbees take any boys as prisoners, they remove their organs, fatten the boys until they grow to manhood, and then when they wish to make a great feast, they kill and eat them, for they say the flesh of boys and women is not good to eat. So what happens is Columbus liberates the Taino women, makes sure they're all free. He goes on and he finds the cannons. And when he finds the cannabis, he attacks and destroys the cannabis. Now, this is the age of conquest. And the age of conquest, when you have an enemy, there's really only two things you can do with an enemy, especially when you have such a polarized worldview as this. Uh, I mean, imagine, can you sit down with the cannabis and you guys, what you're doing is really uncivilized. Let's talk about this. Um, we need to wean you off of eating people. So instead of eating people every day, why don't you just eat people on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? And we'll, we'll slowly win. No, you don't do that. That's why when you have such a radical clash of civilizations, as in the Bible, when they went into the promised land, God said to the children of Israel, these guys are so twisted over here. They sacrifice their children. They burn their children. These guys will wipe them all out. And so what happens is when you have a culture like that, you don't compromise on it and say, hey, let, let's kind of wean you off. of No, no, no. This is terrible stuff. You've got to stop and you've got to stop now. So in the age of conquest, which is what most of history had been, there's only two alternatives for what you can do. And those two alternatives, you can kill the enemy or you can enslave the enemy. That's it. That's how you get stuff stopped. That's how you get cannibal. Anybody notice that when you go to the Caribbean now, you don't have to face cannibals anymore? See... What happened is cannibalism is why. So when you're saying he's guilty of genocide, you're defending cannibalism? It is, because that's all he wiped out. Because he saved countless native tribes in the Caribbean from the cannibals who were eating them. What he did was save a bunch of tribes. Now, what happens is Columbus does return to Spain. And when he returns to Spain, the Tainos say, hey, can we go back with you? We'd like to meet the people that sent you over here. And so the Tainos asked to go to Spain. And when they got back to Spain, they were actually made part of the royal court. Talk about equality. You know, they're not slaves. They're made part of the royal. But Columbus did take back some of the cannabis. He got back and said, king and queen, you won't believe what's going on over there. These are some of the guys that eat people. So he did take some slaves back to show what was really twisted in the new world. So when you get the full story of Columbus, and by the way, there's a whole lot more than what I've just shown you. But there's a reason that all previous generations thought this is not a bad guy at all. Now, yeah, he did wipe out the, the cannibals, but he saved civilization in that area. He saved so many native tribes. And so the real story is really quite different from the little sound bites that we get today. But the difficulty we have, and, and by the way, we're told in Proverbs 18:17 that one side sounds good until you hear the other. Now, this is the basis of this and John 8 is the basis of what we have in the Bill of Rights where you get to confront your accuser. You see, you get to hear both sides. If the prosecution is the only one that was to present his case to the jury, we'd convict everybody. 
if the defense attorney was the only one that presented his case to the jury, we'd free everybody. So what happens is the jury has to hear the prosecution and the defense and decide what the truth is, where the facts lie, and then make a decision on that. See, that's what the Bible tells us to do. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.